Hi, everybody. Thanks for joining us for this episode of On the Defense. Today, we'll be exploring a lot of great topics that sit at the intersection of finance and cybersecurity, from careers to risk mitigation to digital transformation. And to help us do that exploring, we are very privileged to be joined by Richard McBride. Now, as a quick introduction, if you work in finance, there's a good chance you already know Richard's name and the work that he does. Richard is the editor and publisher of the well-known CFO magazine, and he spent more than two decades working in this space. He runs many of the events that you go to. He's involved in many of the events. He's involved in CFO of the Year Award, to name just a few. So I can't think of anyone better to guide us through some of the big issues that are facing finance leaders today. Richard, thank you so much for joining us. Hello. Thank you very much. I say it's a pleasure to be here and uh, two decades in finance. There you go. uh, (laughs) I think that makes me a veteran. (laughs) I, I think it does. Absolutely. And Richard, I'm very excited to get into this conversation, partially because you're a very unusual person to interview in that, you know, when I try to do some background research, aka Google stalking, it was really easy to find the interviews that you've done with CFOs, but it wasn't easy to find pieces that are about you and, and your perspective. And so I have a lot of questions for you today <laughs> because it's really good to finally get to speak to the man behind CFO magazine. So first of all, just to get some basic factual things out of the way, would I be correct to say that you've been uh, creating CFO magazine for about 18 years? Yeah, around that sort of path time. Um, we originally started with events. And then as I say, over time, the magazine uh, was sort of an, an evolution of that. So yeah, it started with events. And then as I say, uh, the, uh, the magazine um, supported the events. And then obviously with COVID, the magazine and digital sort of transformation that then became more of the forefront. So, uh, but yes, in, in short, yeah, I've been doing that for yeah close to 20 years now. Wow. Okay. And why CFOs? Like you now have this wealth of knowledge in this area, but when you first started out, what was the draw to to finance and and finance leaders? Yeah. Oh, look, it it happened. It was it was one of those things where it was never really sort of. We never set out to to start CFO magazine. We never set out to start this CFO movement, if you like. Uh, it was completely one of those things that just happened uh, in a sort of evolution. If I go back twenty years ago, uh, I was in uh, in Europe and I was working uh, in events, uh, say for a different uh, different organization. And we were doing more things in the sort of entrepreneur, more in that sort of CEO space uh, compared to CFO. And what we found was um, around about kind of 2002, 2003, CEOs started to say, look, I really appreciate the invitation to this you know, CEO event. However, I'd like to send my CFO to the event. And, uh, you know, they they need to be learning these skills that they're doing the networking, uh, getting out there, being more of the face of the business. And, and as I say, we, we sort of at the time, we didn't really sort of think much of it. We thought, well, you know, it's, it's good to get a nice mix of CEOs and CFOs. And then, as I say, the feedback that we were getting was our CFO loved this. You know, can can he or she, um, you know, can they go to the next event? Um, and so we just said, well, why don't, why don't we actually do an event for CFOs? And we sort of looked and we researched and we realized that there was chartered accountants were doing things. The CPA back then wasn't doing as much as, as they are now, but um, but there was still, you know, little little things, more industry, but it was very, very traditional. It was very accountant 
accounting based, very, yeah, very sort of traditional. Um, and we said, look, why don't we just come in and shake things up a little bit and do things which are more focusing on the different skill sets, the, the skill sets that CFOs of today need rather than that retrospective reporting and, and that old school accounting. So, so that's how we started. I'd say we, uh, we basically came in to, to sort of shake things up, not necessarily in a major way. I'd say it started off as just one event. And then as I say, it sort of snowballed. We went from one region, uh, then we took it to, uh, to another state. So we, we actually started state by state. That's how we started. That's really interesting because it sounds like there was this organic kind of development because of an actual appetite there for CFOs coming together. And so that kind of touches on something that I was going to ask about, which is that, you know, the CFO role, I think, um, is often uh, somewhat notoriously, you know, kind of an isolated role within an organization. So it would make sense that there would be this kind of appetite for like, oh, yes, can I please talk to somebody else who has the same challenges as me, who has the same responsibilities as me. And it it kind of ties into something that um, we've We've kind of thought before at Fshore, which is that CFO magazine and Fshore kind of share a sort of strength in numbers philosophy. So our CEO is often talking about collaborative cybersecurity and kind of banding together to kind of pool our resources and our knowledge um, so that we're all better off. The idea of uh, rising tide lifts all boats. And so um, my next question is kind of twofold. One is, you know, what are your thoughts on that strength in numbers collaborative philosophy? And the second part is, um, have there been any experiences throughout these last 20 years that have kind of sparked that approach or sort of reinforced taking that approach? A hundred percent, hundred percent. Again, as you say, the traditionally CFOs and finance teams have always sort of had that, um, you know, that, that notorious image of, you know, being in the back of the company, not the face of the company. Sales and marketing are at the front and the, you know, the CEOs out there, but finance, well, they're, they're just sort of kept to the back and we don't really see them. Uh, you know, and, and even though that's a very sort of cliche, it is, it is quite, um, quite accurate. Um, and so we found, we said, again, when we were sort of doing these events, we said, how can we put the spotlight on CFOs? How can we make sure that, that we're, we're bringing them together in a very, very positive way? We're talking about the positive side, the transformations, the way that CFOs doing things differently and, and get examples of, uh, of CFOs that are doing, doing things differently. And, and so, you know, I remember there was a period of time when probably early, early 2000s in Australia. And it was the same four CFOs that were on the speaker circuits. You'd only ever see the same four people. You know, I, I, won't, I won't name names, but but as I say, they they would be like, oh, God, that CFO again. And so, you know, there, there was this hesitation for other CFOs to get out there. So again, we said, look, let's do this on a regional basis. Let's, let's really mine deep and get some really good insights from different CFOs and then sort of take this further. And, and it is, it's all about bringing together that community. I always have this thought that, you know, if, if one person's talking about something on stage, then the whole, or there'll be other people in the audience thinking, oh, I'm not alone. I'm not going through that because it is the, the CFO role is very lonely. You've got those at the top, the board and the CEO that, that look for this, uh, you know, expertise. And then you've got people looking up to the CFO that go, well, you're the guy that, or girl that, that, that knows the answers. So it, you're, you're sort of caught in this very lonely sort of role. And we've always said, look, if we can bring this, this, this group of like-minded uh, individuals, and, and share these stories, then it can, it's, it's a positive thing. And, and it, it is. And so we, we've definitely seen over the last uh, 20 years an enormous shift in the type of CFO. As I say, when I think when we first started, it was a lot of beige suits, gray hair, very 
old school. You'd have people that would do presentations that would go for about 45 to minutes to an hour. And, you know, by, by the end of the day, it was very, very long days. Now it's so much more dynamic. You've got really dynamic CFOs doing really interesting things in their organizations. And people want to, want to share that and, and, and experience that and, and say, okay, we can bring this into our company and our, our business. So for, yeah, for us, it's all about, um, really shining that spotlight and, and making CFOs the the rock stars that they are. <laughs> <laughs> nice. I love that. And so I, I think, you know, something that you've already kind of talked about or that's coming through in, in a lot of your responses is that through these um, events, through this community, you're kind of bringing together and highlighting, you know, this bigger diversity in CFOs and, and in finance leaders. And, it sounds like there was more there to begin with. It just needed to be highlighted. But then as well, it sounds like it's also been changing. And so what do you see as the biggest change, maybe let's say in the past year, maybe since, you know, the the period following COVID? What from your vantage point after working with so many different types of CFOs and so many different types of organizations, you have this really broad view. So what do you see as the biggest difference that's happened over the past year? And what does that mean for where CFOs are headed in 2024? On my sort of vantage point, CFOs are now more leaders. Like, you know, again, back in the day, a CFO, well, they look at the finance and that's, and that's kind of it. That was, that was it. Now CFOs are across HR. They're across IT. They're across uh, investor presentations, investor relations. They're no longer at the back. They're now at the forefront. They're side by side the CEO. Um, I remember one, one CEO that was previously a CFO. He said that, you know, what I expect of, of my CFO, when I'm not here, that they can do my job, that they can fill in for me. So if I'm, you know, off sick or if I'm doing investor presentations overseas, my CFO, I have the the trust and the the capability that they are up to my job. Um, and so I think that the leadership side is 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 more than anything. And and obviously all organisations are different. You know, some some companies would say, oh look, I'm I'm never going to step up to the CEO role, and I don't even want the CEO role. But I think that from my vantage point, is that that leadership and it covers so many more bases. There's a new sort of human aspect aspect to it in terms of the the empathy side and the um the emotional intelligence side as well that people again it's it's about getting amongst the business the cfos now if you you know again linkedin's a, a, a fabulous thing in, in that you can sort of have these snapshots into cfos and uh recently i i'm connected to a, a fabulous cfo in in sydney uh, she's just started working for a, a very large business and she's out there constantly taking photos. Today, I'm at this site. Today, I'm in this department. Today, I'm, I'm here and it's becoming super ingrained in the business. I don't think that would have happened 10 years ago, certainly not 20 years ago. Um, it's now about being a part of that, that bigger journey, that bigger picture, so that when that department wants something from finance, there's that respect, there's that understanding, everyone's so in it together. So that, that would be my biggest observation in terms of uh, in the last certainly 10 years, five years, and I think it's only becoming more and more ingrained. CFOs are now very much at the forefront and uh, say touching on every part of the business. Yeah, wow. And I think that, you know, there was something that you mentioned about as they're starting to become, you know, not just the numbers person, but they're kind of embedded throughout, you know, they, they're taking this leadership role all throughout the organization. One of the areas that you mentioned was IT. And of course, you know, here at FSHORE, a lot of our focus is on security and anti-fraud measures and keeping organizations safe financially. And so I, I have to ask about, where CFOs are at with the the IT and the cybersecurity aspects, especially with regard to, I guess, 
people above them. So, you know, boards, um, CEOs, because we know from CFO Magazine that CFOs have been thinking about this for a while. Uh, you know, you, you published a, an op-ed, I think, in 2020 from, I think it was the Tenable CFO. He was talking about leaning into cybersecurity. So this is something that obviously finance leaders have been talking about for a while. But I'm wondering, where are they at in terms of getting people on board, being able to take, you know, a larger role in risk mitigation as it relates to digital fraud, cybersecurity, et cetera. And are these issues getting more airtime in boards? Are they more amenable to CFOs coming to them with this? Yeah, 100%. I mean, again, we uh, uh, we get these sort of these snapshots from the very top end of town all the way through to, uh, to, to the smaller, you know, again, not-for-profits or community sort of CFOs. No one is uh, immune to, to fraud or, or a cyber attack. Uh, so I've heard presentations from CFOs of uh, not-for-profits that are regionally based, maybe just in New South Wales. Their organization was completely crippled. And how did they then sort of turn that around all the way through to national or, or even you know, international organizations where, again, a fraud has hit the headlines. It's cost jobs. It's cost board members. It's cost CEO their role. Uh, it's been the reputational damage. They were taken uh, into a, a freeze on the ASX. Um, so you, you you see these stories, and all of a sudden, I think people are starting to to look at it, going, "Well, we could be next." And it's it's not will we? It's just when will we be? And so that's that's what we're hearing a lot of in terms of I think CFOs now have to take it very very seriously. It's not that kind of this isn't going to happen to us. It's when will this happen to us, and do we have our our plan in place? So uh, you know, again, over the last few years, um, we've we've been doing a lot more webinars. We've We've had, uh, I mean, one of my favorite speakers is actually um, the, the head of cyber crime for New South Wales Police. Uh, you can hear a pin drop in the room when he does a presentation. He will scare the bejesus out of the room. Um, but it's it's what people need to, to hear because the realities of what the, the number one sort of question that I always like to put into, into these discussions is, you know, take us through what happens the day you find out you've been com- compromised. And it is horrible. Like, the, the stories we've heard, we've been sitting here in, whether it's a, a webinar, just just going, oh my God, that sounds absolutely horrible. And again, I've heard from CFOs that have said you wouldn't wish it on your worst enemy. It's a horrible process to go through. So I think, as you say, having those plans in place, having those protocols, having the technologies, because as I say, it's now a, a financial impact and therefore CFOs have to have to look at it as a, as a risk and how are we going to mitigate the risk and how are we going to yeah, prepare for it in, in that day that we come in and there's a ransomware. You know, what are we going to do? So it's only increasing. And as I say, kind of looking at uh, the stats in terms of our webinars, um, cybercrime is is always a uh, uh, one of the biggest audiences. So again, I think that that shows and highlights how CFOs are taking it seriously. I think it makes sense because often cyber criminals, they're really only after two things most of the time, which is um, data or money. And often they're, they're after data in order to get money. And so CFOs are often, you know, they're almost kind of on the front lines because what they are charged with protecting is one of the main things that that criminals are actually after. And so it would make sense if a CFO says, I want to step up and I'm I'm going to be taking more ownership over making sure that this doesn't happen to our company. But if they do encounter any skepticism or resistance or, or they're having trouble getting some of that across the line with a board of directors, how do you think they can maybe maybe kind of influence them or make their case for taking a larger role in cybersecurity and anti-fraud measures? Yeah, I look at it's a, it's a really good question. And again, we've, we've been sort of asking similar questions. 
one one CFO recently said something interesting about this. Said, you know, um, obviously there's been all this talk about data is the new gold. Data, you know, it's all data, data, data. Uh, and he said that is uh, is data now more of a liability than an asset to an organization? You know, everyone's storing data, everyone keeps data. It's on various systems, it's in various departments, and I think that CFOs now are custodians of of an organization's data, and they need to know where it's being stored, who has access to it. What are the chain of command in, in in getting access to it, and what happens if we lose it? You know, and, and so again, going back to the horror stories that we've heard, you know, you can you can, directors can get some very large fines. Organizations can be you can lose clients because their information has, has gone. You know, so you, again, Optus, Medibank, there's all these high profile cases, but there's also a lot of smaller ones that that you don't hear about, and that sometimes don't even surface for months that the information has even been stolen. So I think that CFOs are definitely taking a lot more seriously, and I think that it's about those channels of communication, having those conversations with the board, having those conversations with the uh, IT, because or whoever, you know, if you're an organization that doesn't have a CIO, who does look after your IT? If it's an outsource provider, where is that being stored? Who has access to it? Um, you know, the, it's it's one of those things where you need to, uh, and again, this was a, a CFO that mentioned it, they said that they just literally got a piece of paper and they went old school and they just wrote down what have we got and where is it? And and that's the starting point. So I think with all of these things, it's about having a starting point and then having those conversations. And, you know, and again, this is one of those things where CFOs, not all CFOs have those direct lines to the board. You know, sometimes they get stopped to the CEO. So they're, they're not allowed to speak to the to the board or, or they're just it's un- uncommon. Um, so, again, I think it's about breaking down those, those sort of channels of communication and going, OK, well, how do we prioritize this? Because if this happens... We're going to be in a world of pain. So, um, so yeah, I think communication is the key, but also just going back to basics and just going, okay, where is our information? Who, where is it being stored? Who has access to it, et cetera? Yeah, absolutely. I, I think that's such good advice because that's a good starting point where regardless of what your security posture is, regardless of what the relationship is for that CFO and their leaders, they can at least start with conversations, whether that's their IT team, their security team, the CEO, Having those conversations, I think, is the first step in even just ra- raising awareness. Because sometimes, like you said, when people share those horror stories, it's it's very persuasive. It is, and 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 I think a lot of organizations hold on to data longer than they actually need it. You know, it's uh, as I say, we sort of live in a day and age where it's like, oh, we've got this data, so let's you know, how we're going to use it, and and uh, and sometimes as I say, it can be more of a more of a, a liability than the benefits. So I think that, you know, and again, that comes from people that I've spoken to CFOs where they've gone through that horrible journey and they've realized we shouldn't have even been keeping this. We should have just deleted that. We shouldn't even store it in the first place. Credit cards, uh, you know, personal information. These are things that we shouldn't even be storing. This should just be use it and then move on or, uh, you know, have a have a system in place. So so yeah, as I say, yeah, can, and, and also, you know, as I say, get involved in, in webinars, get involved in events, learn from other people, reach out to people that have been there. You know, it's, there are some, some CFOs that are very, very happy to share their horror stories. And we'll, we'll I, I know on first hand, we'll be only too happy to, to, you know, talk through what they've gone through and the questions that they wish they'd asked. 10 years ago or five years ago that stopped them going through that uh, that pain. So that sort of is always one of the things about CFOs. I think that CFO to CFO network, you'd be amazed at how open other CFOs are if you just send them a, send them a message, you know, whether it's a LinkedIn or whether it's a, uh, an email or, or even pick up the phone or go to an event. I always find that CFOs are the most approachable people and usually only too happy to, to impart their experiences. Yeah, that sounds really important because when it comes to 
cybercrime and, and digital fraud, a lot of this is uncharted territory, especially as we get into artificial intelligence and where we are with generative AI. And so if we're in uncharted territory, why wouldn't you want to speak to somebody who's already been there and already has some experience? It's like, yes, someone has been through this. That's like a starting point, at least, especially when we're not even sure <laughs> where things are headed. Um, it, it seems like that's that's a way to get a little bit of certainty back. For sure, for sure. And, and, and again, you know, by coming to one of our events or by uh, hooking into a webinar or even someone else's event, it doesn't have to be ours, but, uh, uh, you know, it's about having those conversations. You know, I, again, I, I know that when Gavin gets up and presents, he's inundated with questions. It sparks the discussion. People sort of talk about, oh, we actually did have an incident. And, you know, you can't always talk about these things publicly. No one likes to talk about, again, things that have gone very wrong. Um, I've had a number of conversations with CFOs over the years where it's been completely off record. Sometimes it's been, you know, over a drink or a coffee in the morning. And it's amazing once you start to ask how many businesses have actually gone through not necessarily a major breach, but little cyber uh, attacks or little moments where you know, they had a, a fraudulent employee that stole information or stole money or whatever it may be. It's, it's a lot more common than people realize. And again, having those conversations opens up that channel. It, it makes it less taboo and more more mainstream. Yeah, awesome. And this is, I think, pretty related to what we've been talking about, but digital transformation. I think a lot of us know that digital transformation, those projects are, they can be very challenging, even in the best of circumstances. And so when we talk about the best of circumstances, that usually doesn't include, you know, rapidly increasing cybercrime rates and <laughs> incidents. And especially with, you know, I think there is a big focus on employee experience and improving things and, and introducing these digital ways of working. But then the tension is, well, as you store more data and as you create these frictionless experiences, are you creating new vulnerabilities? Are you increasing your attack surface? And so my question is, you know, how can CFOs, it sounds like community and networking is a big part of it, but I'm wondering if you have any advice from what you've seen about how CFOs can approach digital transformation while making sure that cybersecurity and risk mitigation are kind of built into the DNA of those big transformation projects. Yeah, I think Again, you know, digital transformation is it's a it's a very broad sort of term. Uh, I've spoken to some CFOs and they've said, look, you know, we went for the low hanging fruits. We went for the easy wins where uh, we can do some very and, and and build from there. And so they they may not necessarily have overhauled their entire ERP system or, or whatever it may be, but they they've just gone for those as I say the, the kind of the low hanging fruits and they've they've picked their battles and 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 sort of started to uh, go from there. I think that once once you sort of start on that uh, on that journey, then as you say, having that roadmap, a lot of a lot of CFOs again will go old school whiteboard. Let's let's you know look at it and, and go in an ideal world. Where where are we now, and where do we want to be, and how we're going to get there in, in that? And let's bring everyone along for the journey. Again, it's all about communication. It's all about ensuring that fear of change. No one likes to change. No one likes to do things. We've always done it that way. You know, all of those expressions. And, and that is very, very true. And obviously, the larger the organization, the more complicated it is, the more challenging it is. Again, we've had CFOs um, that have you know been from multinationals uh, all the way through to smaller locally based companies. And everyone's gone through the same challenges of of communicating that that vision and then taking everyone on on that journey with them. So um, again, uh, communication comes down to it. And and going back to what I was saying earlier, uh, talking to people that have been on these on these journeys, trying to find similar industries, trying to find similar uh, organizations. 
you know, one of the things that we do when we're working with suppliers is we say, look, let's not get this from the vendor perspective. Let's get this from the the, the user perspective. Let's talk with someone that has gone through that. What was uh, because at the end of the day, your digital transformation journey is happening, but you also have to do the day to day as well. So how do you balance running the business, doing the business as usual with also doing this digital transformation? And again, you know, some companies, they will have that transformation team. Other companies don't have the resources there. They've got very limited budgets, very limited staff. Um, so it's how you marry the two together. So, you know, I'm, I'm the biggest advocate for just picking up the phone or, you know, looking at someone and going, They've implemented this. That's what we want to implement. So I'm going to give them a call and find out how how they did it and, and see if they can just spare half an hour of their time. If we can have a coffee or if we can, you know, just just even over over the phone. So I think that yeah, the, those are those are my my biggest. I, I've spent the last 20 years asking CFOs for help and advice, <laughs> and and you know, I, I'm always amazed at how generous people are with their time. And in, inevitably, you know, there's things that didn't go to plan that they can give you that advice and, and help you with. So it's, it's always good to yeah, reach out and, uh, and and ask people that have been there and done that, but also at the same time, have that clear picture of what you wanted to achieve. That's that's also one of the things that, that I hear often from CFOs, understand what you want to achieve and then how you're going to get there rather than just jumping on the bandwagon and having that fear of missing out. Oh, everyone else is doing this, so let's do it. Do you really need to do it? And why do you want to do it? And have that have that picture there and and then bring everyone on the journey. Yeah, awesome. And would it be fair to say that um, when they're thinking about the outcome, when they're thinking about, okay, this is the ideal place where we want to end up by taking this project on, maybe it's a matter of including security and thinking about those vulnerabilities from the very beginning and saying from the start, like our our ideal endpoint is going to include this security level or these security measures. Would that do you think that that could help? Yeah, without a doubt. I think I think I think that now and anybody when they're when they're going down this road, you have to think about um, the security aspect of it. I think you know cybercrime is is one of those things that is now just embedded within all projects and even even within um, just the culture as well. Again, the, the number of CFOs where you know they will they will say if something doesn't feel right, you pick up the phone and you speak to that person in finance or their accounts receivable or their accounts payable because at the end of the day. That is the, the the number one uh safeguard. You know, just you know, emails can be compromised, there can be all sorts of all sorts of things that could play. No one can beat picking up the phone and speaking to Mary or Steve or whoever it may be. So again, and having that culture, uh, you know, one of the big things that we hear about is is creating a safe culture where it's okay to make mistakes. Um, you know, you don't want your staff fearing, oh, I clicked on a link, I'm gonna get in so much trouble, I'm just not gonna tell anyone, I'm gonna pretend that didn't happen because I mean, a world of pain uh, if if my boss finds out. So again, creating that culture of, yeah, this is a safe environment. We're all on the same team here. Accidents happen. Mistakes happen. You just own up to it early or you tell people early and communicate things as well. You know, if there is a, a dodgy link going around, screenshot it share it and and tell people it's um you know so it's lots of little little piece of advice that that i've sort of heard um over over the years with uh with these it's it's yeah creating that 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 right culture where um and again cfos are now very much at the forefront of that and making sure that everyone feels it's okay that i can put my hand up and say something's not right here 
Yeah, it, it sounds like the kind of running theme is the importance of communication and, and actually connecting with people and being able to talk about these things, whether it's someone in your organization or outside of your organization. And you did mention something earlier that I wanted to go back to, which is that you mentioned that some organizations are going to have trans- like entire teams dedicated to transformation, and not everybody does. And so what can organizations do, you know, if they're not a large organization with lots of resources, you know, big headcounts, all that sort of thing. Where do they fit into this and how can they be approaching this? Yeah, oh, look, it's, it's, it's funny. So it reminds me of um, we had a, a session some years ago where we had the CFO of one of the big four banks and, uh, you know, he was talking about digital transformation and essentially kind of alienated the vast majority of the audience because, as you say, you know, if you're, if you're one of the big four banks and uh, you've got endless resources, you've got endless amounts of cash, all the tools and technologies and world-class functionalities, but, you know, the, the vast majority of the people in the audience were, were from mid-sized size businesses. So when it came to questions and answers, you, you know, someone put their hand up and said, you know, what do you, what do, you do if you're not a bank? Um, and I think that the reply was, get another job. <laughs> but that didn't, that didn't help things in the moment. That, that, you know, that wasn't really the best. The best retort. Um, I think that you know technology has come a long, long way, and now what was once exclusive to enterprise is now open to the ma- the masses. You know, you've got uh, you've got tools and technologies. The big end of town, like the Oracles and the Microsofts, they're doing those enterprise uh, those those mid mid market offerings. Uh, even SMEs, the ability to sort of punch above your weight has never been easier for for technology. You don't have to have those. Uh, and this is something you know that, that we hear all the time. Don't think that this is out of your reach. You know, uh, have a have a look, try before you buy, sort of thing. You can always move up to the enterprise if, and, and sort of scale up. But those technologies are now very much more accessible than than a lot of people realize. And, and I say that's something that we hear all the time, where you can buy a single license or you can buy entry level sort of package for. SAP for Microsoft, for Oracle, NetSuite, etc. So, um, so yeah. So I think that I think it's about shopping around, and I think that CFOs again, it's one of those things where you have to have the time to do it. But again, benchmark with other organizations, find out what other companies are using. Cloud has opened up a, a world of possibilities for uh, for CFOs. There is so much more agility, and again, there's there's a lot more. Yeah, there's a lot more available than there used to be. So, um, so it's yeah. I think that I think it's a lot easier to uh, to punch above your weight, and uh, again, it's just about sort of yeah, getting out there and having a look for it. Yeah. And, you know, you mentioned when we're talking about digital transformation, there are those foundational systems and foundational changes. Um, and it sounds like they're just becoming more accessible. And it's probably taken a little while to to get there. You know, when we talk about ERPs and CRMs and, and everything, those are kind of standalone things. And obviously, they have security protocols and features built into them. But when it comes to, I guess, security-focused solutions. Are you hearing anything from SMEs or, or CFOs at these kind of mid-sized organizations or smaller organizations? Are you hearing any of the same concerns about, oh, we'd love to to buy this or implement this, but there aren't any security solutions that are really appropriate for our size organization? Do you feel like, I'm, I'm not asking rhetorically, I'm wondering if you've heard this from anyone, and is there kind of a parallel between ERP? Yep, now there are accessible options, but are there accessible options for security solutions? And are you hearing any, anything about that from those other CFOs? Really good question. That's a really good question because I think you're right. I think that uh, security is definitely playing catch up to, as you say, the likes of the ERPs. 
Um, I think that there's still there's still a big void in that, uh, as you say, you know, if you're a top end of town company, uh, you know, again, we we had you know a conversation a while ago where someone said, you know, have a chat with your uh, your chief security officer. I was like, well, the vast majority of companies probably don't have a chief security officer. That's that's a very sort of privileged role or privileged organization that has someone dedicated to to security. In you know the the smaller end of town, definitely wouldn't have that um, that that sort of person that might be grouped with the CIO or your outsourced um, you know provider. So I think that there's definitely uh, an element of sort of catch up because we're certainly not seeing it just yet in terms of people saying, hey, you know, mid-market security offering. Uh, it's still just that kind of get down to um, OfficeWorks and get a, a McAfee, you know, for, for your laptop and uh, and that should do you. So I think that, yeah, I think that there's definitely some play because there is a lot of talk in that top end of town uh, when it comes to, uh, to cybercrime. But I think that there's a bit of a bit of a gap. I, I I could be I could be mistaken. I say some people may turn around and go, "You're not aware of X, Y, and Z." But it's certainly not something that I'm hearing a lot of. But I'm sure that it will also play catch up, just like with the uh, ERPs and, as you say, CRM and that sort of enterprise software. I'm sure that the security side will will also play catch up. But then uh, there are other uh, organizations similar to yourself at, at FSure that would turn around and go, "You know what? We actually we can fit your model. We 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 work with companies." Um, of SME size, and uh, and we can we can do that. So again, I think a lot of it is just having that conversation, starting uh, by communication, by contacting them, and saying, "This is us. Are we a fit?" Yeah, yeah. Oh, no, that's such good advice because, um, like you mentioned, some of this it, maybe there are solutions out there, or solutions can be tailored. But if the awareness isn't there, then people aren't still aren't going to be using the solutions. So yeah, sometimes it is about just picking up the phone and saying like, "Hey, what what can you do for me?" or or "What how can I fit this into my business?" Absolutely. So I I think that that is often when we talk about cybercrime, we're often talking about these very scary things and it's often very negative. I feel like we've talked about a lot of like really good positive advice, but just to like kind of end on an even more positive note, I'd love to ask you, especially as we hear about, okay, these are the risks of AI. These are the risks of, you know, growing amounts of cybercrime. What is giving you optimism? What gives you a sunny feeling? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Look, I, I'm, uh, I, I sort of fall into this. This uh, all of my world is is around CFOs. I, 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 say I speak with CFOs all the time. It's almost like a like a sixth sense. I, I see CFOs everywhere. <laughs> and so, um, for me, you know, I've always gone for the absolute optimism. You know, there has never been a better time to be a CFO. And with the the influence that CFOs have now, you know, next year is going to be uh, a big year for. Um, obviously, as you say, digital transformation will continue to uh, to grow. Um, there's going to be back to basics. I think that uh, you know CFOs are uh, you know now that sort of interest rates are higher, the cost of the cost of debt is higher. Uh, there's not quite the same ability to to sort of take those risks and and, and fail. You know, people now are looking at what are the safer bets. So I think that CFOs will certainly be going back to a little bit more basics. But I also think that uh, you know that that CFOs now are so. Uh, yeah, let's say the driving force of all organizations. And uh, so, so for me, I, I think that, you know, the, the, the picture is very rosy. I think, you know, when, when I look at the programs that we're putting together and the topics that we're speaking on, uh, it's all about, you know, how CFOs can uh, be more of a people leader. How can we be more sort of ingrained in the business in all the various, various facets? Uh, and that, and that, that in itself is, uh, is a great opportunity for CFOs to step out of that traditional back office and uh, be much more forward facing. You know, I, I see a lot of CFOs that are going through, um, you know, they're moving into CEO roles, they're moving to COO roles, they're moving to boardroom positions. So the the skill sets are expanding. 
Um, and I think that, that the opportunities are, 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 are huge for CFOs now. I say, if you look at any board, pretty much any board these days, there will be CFOs on the makeup. You know, if you look at, there's some companies where you look at it and go, the CEO is a former CFO, the COO is a former CFO, and obviously you've got this this brilliant CFO that is an executive team of finance. So, so for me, I, th- I think that it's it's very positive. There's a lot of uh, negativity in the world, but I say in, in kind of the right here, right now. Um, I think that 2024 is uh, is very optimistic for most people, uh, most CFOs in Australia. I think we've gone through a very rough three three or four years with COVID uh, and climate uh, issues, and uh, so there's definitely some very serious subjects which will be coming into play. And obviously, sustainability will be taking much more of a, a high profile role as mandatory reporting comes into uh, uh, into play. But um, you know, I think that everyone generally in, in Australia, I'm, I'm getting some really positive uh, vibes from CFOs, and and it's a, as I say, yeah, there's never been a better time to be a CFO and to make a difference in a, in, a, in a business. Richard, thank you so much. I feel like you're doing a lot to bring these leaders together, and the more we bring them together, the better able they will be to help solve some of those really big issues that you've mentioned. So thank you so much. This conversation has been amazing. We've covered so much. We've gotten so many insights from you. And it has been really, truly an honor and very revealing to finally get to see the man behind <laughs> the magazine and and momentarily set the CFOs to a side and, and talk to kind of the CFO whisperer, if you will. And um, <laughs> <laughs> It's been fun being on the other side. Yeah. Normally I'm asking CFOs to do this. So, exactly. uh, so yes, no, it's, been, it's been a lot of fun and thank you for having me. Yeah, thank you so much, Richard. 